A city based on industry, from market stalls to collieries, owners, directors, and entrepreneurs. Oh, we've got all that and more. No matter how high you fly, no matter how far you go, the spotlight's on you when we go wrecking Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Wrexham Business Spotlight which is hosted by myself Adrian and sponsored by AB Accountancy. This is a podcast based on Wrexham businesses and we get to meet a different Wrexham business and a different Wrexham business owner each week. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Warren from Haddo Edwards. Afternoon. Warren, thank you for coming on. That's all. My pleasure. Thank you yeah. for inviting me. If you could just start by telling everyone a bit about yourself and what we need to know about Haddo Edwards. Okay, I should try my best. Um, I'm Warren, Warren Hadlow. Um, my background was in banking uh, for many years. I left uh, High Street Bank. I worked for Lloyd's TSB and uh, set up Hadlow Edwards with my uh, good friend Medwin um, a long time ago, just over 20 years ago, when there was myself and Medwin and a couple of staff. Um, today, and I'm not quite sure how, Adrian, but there is uh, Medwin's retired. Uh, but there are, it's now myself, two other co-directors, uh, my son Tom and my co-director James, James Parry. And there is a team of 44 at today's date in the business. Okay. Um, we do what you think financial advisors should normally do, I guess. So we give a lot of uh, investments and pensions advice. Um, a lot of our advice now is spread across generations of one family so very often I'm dealing with post-retired people looking after and seeing what they can do to help their families and maybe their grandchildren as well uh, a lot of pensions work um, James particularly specializes in a lot of corporate work in the pensions arena we do some protection and mortgages uh, as you'd expect um, and quite a lot of inheritance tax and specialist trust work where we're hopefully helping our clients keep their hard-earned money and assets uh, within their family groups. Okay. So what, what sort of person would need a financial advice? Is it just sort of the lottery winners and the, no. the successful business people? or is it? No, absolutely not. Um, one of the things which we have set out to do is not bracket our clients in terms of wealth. Um, it's a great shame that um, about a decade ago, the Retail Distribution Review was launched on our industry to make, to encourage financial advice to be available to everybody. Um, more recently, um, consumer duty is the next level of uh, engagement that the regulators of the financial services industry want to uh, impose, and they will impose it. And that is making it a little harder to offer perhaps smaller clients the opportunity to get good financial advice. But we have been stoical in saying from the outset that we wish to make our financial advice available to a wide range of clients. So I don't mind if we have clients who have got um, um, a simple need for some life insurance to protect a family or a modest amount that they can start a pension with or some modest savings that need to work a bit harder. Um, we are very happy. We will still help those people put some plans together and make the very most of what they've got. And some of our most successful clients over the last 20 years 
started relatively small and we've made a proper difference to their planning in, that, in two decades. Um, it's not about how much money you've got, it's are you ser- do you seriously want to sit down and have a plan for your finances? Yeah. That's what we're really interested in. Okay. And, and this podcast is obviously aimed at business, so I'm expecting a lot of self-employed and business owners, and there'll be sort of people who don't get access to a workplace pension. Yep. So I guess particularly that's somewhere where you can step in and, and help provide that. Yeah, I mean, nowadays the... Well, gosh, I'm a veteran of this, as you can tell. Uh, many years ago, when I started giving advice back in my bank-employed days, um, a lot more people had occupational pension schemes, a lot more people had defined benefit schemes, With um, where really all you had to do is stay on board, stay in, get a lot of your service in, and your, your pension would, I say look after itself, that's not quite true, but the, the pension would certainly build up a, a reasonable value and offer you um, a good opportunity to see a, a, a realistically comfortable uh, retirement alongside your state pension, etc. Not so much now. You know, far more people are responsible for looking after their own pension provision, and um, those people will fall into a few categories. You know, that people will, some people will leave it a little bit too late. The, the most important pension contributions you can make are often early ones. You know, the contributions you make during your 20s and 30s are the pension contributions which will have the biggest impact on what your retirement one day looks like. And, that, and that's down to something called compound interest, isn't it? Compounding, Do you want to yeah, explain compounding yeah, and compound yeah. interest? Hello, everybody. This episode of the Wrexham Business Spotlight is sponsored by AB Accountancy, who are an accountancy firm based in the heart of Wrexham who believe in producing high-quality accounts and unbeatable customer service. You can visit our website www.abaccountancy.co or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram where we regularly post hints and tips to help you with your accounts and your tax. If you'd like to sponsor an episode of this podcast in Season 2, please get in touch. Right, sorry for disturbing you, let's get back to the podcast. It wasn't me who said this, it was somebody a little bit smarter than me. It was a fellow called Einstein who said that uh, compound growth is the eighth wonder of the modern world. That's what he said, and he's right. Because if you get some money behind you, there's a, there's a magic number of about, let's, go, let's take this magic number as seven. It's a fraction bigger than that, but we call the magic number seven. So if you start off with £10,000, you can get to your point where you've got £10,000 behind you at age 25, for example. Not everybody can get there, I accept that. But let's just start at that point. If that £10,000 adds 7% per annum, for the next decade, it will just about double in value. So 10,000 becomes worth 20,000 by the time you're 35. That 20,000 becomes 40,000 by the time you're 45, 80,000 by the time you're 55, and 160,000 by the time you're 65. Now, of course, if you only get that 10,000 pounds behind you when you're 45, it only doubles twice, doesn't it, before you're 65. Mm. So compound growth, I'm not saying that some people will leave things quite late to, to make this opportunity. And let's, be, let's face facts, there's a lot of people out there trying to pay their mortgages and meet the cost of living rises yeah. that we've seen in recent years, last few years in particular. But even with my own team, even with our, 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 our team range from uh, teenagers to 60-somethings, you know, uh, and we're very keen to say even to our own team, start as early as you can because that compound growth over many years will make a very, very big difference. Equally, uh, we do a lot of 
corporate advice around pensions, how to how to get money out of businesses as tax efficiently as we can. That's where you come in, Adrian. You know, how to get money out of businesses as efficiently as you possibly can and um, look after your own planning because I had two careers. My career when I was in the bank in my final salary pension scheme, as I should say defined benefit pension scheme, it looked after itself. Um, when I left, you suddenly switch. I switched from being an employee of a huge organisation to running my own business and you've got to look after it yourself. So we give a lot of pensions advice, um, uh, both corporate and personal. And again, it's mostly about setting out and having a plan. And we're a very big goal setting practice. You know, if, if we know what people have got today and they're 45, let's set a goal for what you should, what, what, what fund value, what, what pension opportunity are we looking to achieve? What do we want to get to by the time you're 55, by the time you're 60, by the time you're 65? Um, some of our pension clients will have to potentially work a lot longer than their parents did to achieve the same pension results. And um, that's, uh, again, a bit of a sign of the times, I suppose. Mm. It's not all about pensions, though. My, uh, my, um, a lot of my advice is in the investment arena. We encourage people to use their annual allowances, to try and use their ISA allowance where they can, or at least part of it. If... Um, I think if I turned up at your house, Adrian, I was from HMRC, and I said, here's some things that you can do every year, and the taxman will never tax you on this again. No income tax and no capital gains tax. And you can build that fund up over many years. Um, I think that if the taxman turned up and told you that, you'd say, oh, I'll, I'll have some of that. Mm -hmm. um, I turn up and tell people that we should be trying to save efficiently and uh, put something away for a rainy day. I, I turn up and sometimes um, those opportunities may sometimes get left on the shelf a little bit, but there are still some good opportunities out there to avoid paying tax you don't have to pay. And again, that's what you do yeah, as well. Yeah. You know, Paying tax you've got to pay is it's one difference thing. between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Oh yeah, uh, but paying tax you've got to pay is one thing. But too many people pay tax, whether it's income tax, capital gains tax, occasionally inheritance tax. I mean, probably 70% of inheritance tax paid in the UK could have been legitimately avoided for the want of a bit of planning. Um, that's where I spend a lot of my time. Mm. I spend a lot of my time working, perhaps with grandparents, looking to um, establish gifts and schemes to see funds move to their children and their grandchildren or structure a family trust to uh, have an element of control over those assets. Um, it, it's In this day and age, a lot of grandparents who have seen a lot of property price increases over through the 70s, through the 80s and maybe in part of the last two decades, they want to be able to look after their families. They want to be able to um, not see unnecessary taxes charged on their estate maybe one day, but they don't necessarily want to give up complete control of it now. So we do a lot of trust work as well, uh, whereby Fred and Betty set up the Fred and Betty Family Trust because as trustees of that trust, they can invest in, in that holding, move monies outside of their estate and avoid unnecessary inheritance tax in years okay. to come. 
Um, and you mentioned ISIS there as well. We mm. talked about pensions. Mm. Is there an ideal mix people should be looking at, or is it not that simple for you to explain quickly? Or no, no. The, there's there's more money today in cash ISAs than there is in investment ISAs in the UK. So typically, you can pay, take out a cash ISA, which will earn you an interest rate. Well, many years when interest rates were, as a technical term, you know, diddly squat, weren't they? Interest rates yeah. for savers were were very, very poor in real terms. Now, we've seen a year or so where interest rates, a year or two, where interest rates have climbed significantly, um, which is good news for savers, but bad news for everybody that's got a mortgage in the, in the country. And it's still bad news if that's lower than the inflation increases, isn't it? The, the, the big problem you've got is that pretty much whatever you earn on a deposit rate and interest rate um, is very, very likely to inflation-proof itself in, in years to come. So... You know, my old mum, bless her, um, she passed away a few years ago, but mum was 90. Um, but my old mum would, if, if, if she'd had money behind her today, if, she, if only she'd had that same money behind her 50, you know, 30, 40 years ago, she'd have been significantly wealthier, wouldn't she? Um, and over a period of time, if the capital you have got behind you cannot keep pace with inflation, then you're... You're maybe not seeing your funds, your account, your account balances fall in value, but you're being eaten from the backside up, aren't you? The the uh, so you're losing the, buying power on the you're on the losing buying power on that cash, and um, that's something we try very hard to encourage people not to do. See some real growth, yeah, over and above inflation. Um, there's lots of challenges though at the moment. We're we're not unrealistic. We know that people have got to pay their mortgages, feed the kids, and all the rest of it. The good news is. Well, the good news is for mortgage borrowers that mortgage rates are already coming down. And the, that's not so good news for savers because what looks like an attractive rate of interest currently will fall apart over the next 18 months. And interest rates will fall in line with inflation again. And hopefully um, we'll get back to some more sensible uh, interest rates. It's interesting, no pun. Uh, probably was a pun on there, but you know, my son, uh, Tom... Um, in his, um, what is he now, 34. And Tom's on a mortgage for 10 years. And for nine of those 10 years, it's been cheap as chips, mm. you know? And I said to Tom, this isn't normal. And he said, but it's normal for me, Dad. Mm. Uh, no, trust me, long-term, that's not normal. A lot of people will take out a mortgage over 25 or currently in today's day, day and age, maybe 30 years. If you get a decade of exceptionally low interest rates, you've been pretty fortunate. Yeah, I agree. But the worm has turned now, and the mortgage rates have gone whizzing up, but not much above the average where they've been in the last 50 years. So this is kind of normal now, but not normal if you've only had a mortgage for the last it's decade. It's a change of perspective, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. We've all been spoiled, really. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I think the... Uh, People still enjoy being mortgage-free. That's another thing. We talk about managing people's investments, managing people's pensions, their intergenerational work, trying to make sure that their money is going to go to their family one day. There's lots of rules around long-term care, etc. we need to be aware of. When we talk about some of our intergenerational planning, um, I'd say to anybody watching this of a certain age, um, approaching retirement or post-retirement with, with their grown-up family and grandchildren is don't listen to the fella leaning on the end of the bar about what you can and what you can't do. 
um, there are two people essentially trying to spend your hard-earned assets uh, before one day you may leave them to your families. Um, HMRC is quite interested, although the allowances have improved somewhat in recent years. But the second area of growing concern, I think, for a lot of people is the idea of care costs in the future. You know, we are living longer, no question about that. It seems that the rate of life expectancy and how it was growing at one period of time is actually slowed. It's not getting that number that you might expect to live to isn't getting bigger year on year now is at the same rate as it was two decades ago. But people are still living longer. Um, some of the people approaching retirement now do not have the 40 years service within a, uh, a defined benefit or a final salary scheme to keep them forever. But a significant challenge is the cost of care. Whether you one day, Adrian, fit a young man like you, whether you need... Whether you need some help at home, domiciliary care, or whether you need more challenging uh, care residentially, and we all know people in this category, the cost of care is uh, a major consideration. There's a lot of rules around this and, and, and a lot of misunderstanding as well. Uh, people get very confused about what they can gift each year without there being any comeback. Um, uh, people always tell me, well, you can only give £3,000 a year away, can't you, Warren? No. You can only give £3,000 a year away um, with, with no consideration to what that future gift may represent to the recipient. So if you have, if you have a husband and wife with assets of less than a million pounds, that's property, cash in the bank, investments, um, which covers a lot of people, you can gift away what you like. And this is a major misconception because it's only if you make a large gift. Let's say today you have a husband and wife that wish to give £20,000 away amongst their children. They can make those gifts. In the unhappy event of them passing away within seven years, the question that the children would have to ask is, have they exceeded that £3,000 annual allowance each? And where that's been exceeded, there would be a tax liability potentially on that gift that's made. That's only where their net assets are worth more than a million pounds. And just as an aside, that doesn't include money in pensions. Pensions are outside of people's estates. So once you get a plan around inheritance tax, then the second question becomes, um, how do we defend our assets from spending all of our money on care costs? Um, and there are lots of rules around that, too, too deep. But for example... Uh, there is a rule around deliberate deprivation. So every year, every month, somebody will say to me, it looks like Dad might need some care in the next year or so, Warren. What should we do about it? And I really want to say, what you should have done about it 10 years ago, before Dad reached this point, was thought about it 10 years ago. Mm. You know, and um, Dad, if Dad now starts to lay assets away to family that could be challenged and probably would be challenged by um, a local authority providing care private provider providing care in years to come um, you have to plan earlier against some of these things and make sure you don't fall foul of deliberate deprivation because it's not right that somebody that could look after themselves today gives away enough of, the, enough of their assets to suggest they can't look after themselves yeah. in time to come you won't get away with that one. No.
Okay, right. Just change the tact a little bit, okay. Warren. You said you've been doing this 20 years now. So, so I'm running my own business 20 yeah. years, yeah. What, what led you to start the business from, from leaving a sort of, I presume, a safe career in banking? Yeah, I really enjoyed my career in banking. Um, I was fortunate enough to work um, in a role I really enjoyed. Uh, I got to see a bit of the world, um, mostly relatively short term. Uh, but trips to different parts of the world which allowed me to uh, experience some other markets as well. And I guess when I was fast approaching 40, the high street banks wanted to give a little bit of advice to a lot of people every day. And I wanted to give much more tailored advice to fewer numbers of people. So I found myself, you know, fast food versus you know, a, 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 a more a la carte approach, if you like. Yeah. And I found myself wishing to be very much in the uh, more thorough end of the market, really understanding. I say to any anybody coming in and thinking to talk, talk about us, first things first, I don't mind how long we spend getting a really good understanding of where are you now. That's number one. Where are you today? Let's get really good details down and understand where you are today. Number two is what are your goals? What are your individual goals? Because if we, know, if we know where you are today and we know what you're aiming for, Adrian, we've got half a chance of being able to put a plan together. And I wanted to move from an industry which was going down the sort of fast food route to seeing a lot of people to a much more um, tailored and cultured environment. I left my banking role in the middle of 2001, set up on my own, and within six months, I absolutely knew it was the best thing I'd ever done because it, it ticked that box for me. So I, I, I had a similar path from leaving yeah. sort of a big corporate structure. Yep. And I say it was even after a couple of weeks, I knew it was the right thing. Oh, yeah. I, I can oh, remember yeah. sitting at home thinking, well, I need to make this work. So I don't want to go back and get another job. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. I, I can say to you now, you know, I, I, I probably have. I think, I think only a couple of years after leaving my previous employed post, I would have probably been unemployable by that point mm. because I was very prepared. Oh, blimey. I think of 2001 to 2008. And um, I said this to somebody in the week, actually. If you're going to set your own business up and you want to work for yourself, you've got to let that business own you for those early years. And it was you know, really quite hard. You then reach a bit of a tipping point where in those early years, every single day is about small steps forward, tiny, tiny baby steps as the business grows. Uh, we've got a sizable business now with um, just shy of 5,000 clients. And those 5,000 clients are spread. If, we put them, if, if every client was a pin in a map, there's an awful lot of those clients, um, A55 Corridor, Cheshire, North... Uh, Cheshire, the Wirral, Wrexham and Chester, North Shropshire, etc. A huge lot, but we've got clients in uh, uh, here, Whitley Bay, and um, South Coast in Southampton. Quite a lot of clients in Central London. It's just sort of mushroomed out. But the second is that based off referrals. Do we know somebody's already with you, or yeah, our family is family spread as well. You know that um, a lot of our clients now we've reached a a point where our clients kindly introduce us to friends, family, colleagues um, 
nowadays, you know, I mean, gosh, when I was born in Gloucestershire. And when I moved to Shropshire, my mother thought I'd gone to the other side of the world, you know, 80 miles up the road. Now we end up with clients that we'll be working with locally that will introduce us to family and friends all over the place. I think 2020 has made this somewhat easier because we will, we wish to deliver our advice. We wish to deliver our advice face to face. And, and I still think there's little exchange for that. I know now we can do Zoom and team meetings and all the rest of it. And we can set up a, a meeting in a, a room and have people present from all over the country separately. Sometimes that's useful. And so obviously now you said, is it 40, 40 something employees you said you've got? What does, what does that look like as a business owner of that many employees? Challenging some days. Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't plan to say that, but that's true. Um, we've, got a, we've got quite a mix. I mean, the first thing to say is, as the business has grown, you can't, it becomes a choice. You either work on the business and manage it, or you're within the business mm. and uh, part of it. I've always chosen, I, I, my, the thing I enjoy doing the most is sitting down with clients and working on their plans. So we've got a very dedicated management structure and um, Kate is our practice manager, has been with us a long time and runs the show on a day-to-day basis, uh, hand in glove with Mark. Um, Mark is, is our technical guy who runs everything technical because, you know, if everything was, if, in my industry, if everything was made too easy, then you wouldn't need as, need as many people like no. me or maybe like you, Adrian. <laughs> we don't but, want that, do we? No, we don't want that, no. Because at the end, at the end of the day, whether uh, it's, you know, a good accountant saving you more than their fees or whether it's a good financial advisor really agreeing with you and helping you structure a plan that you say to me in five years time that's been brilliant Warren you know that that's what we're really seeking to achieve yeah. some proper laid down laid down goals now with 45 people we have a management structure which runs the place day to day we have 15 advisors um, with a range of different specialisms so if you came to me today and said, um, I'm just about to sell an engineering business that I've been running for the last 25 years, Warren, you're talking to the wrong person because you need to be speaking to James because James has a wealth of corporate experience about how to extract value from that business, um, pay as little tax as you can, uh, maybe find the right buyer. You know, But James has a, a lot of experience in that area. Um, Steve down in Canuck is an out-and-out trust boffin. You know, ask him one on trusts because he'll get the question right. You know, and uh, so we have different specialisms. Uh, Tom does a, a, a lot of work with perhaps a slightly younger client base than I work with. Tom's in his 30s, I'm, I'm 60. And it seems right that some of the upwardly mobile um, younger clients that Tom is looking after are going to engage with a guy who's going to be with them for a few decades. Um, below the management structure and the advisor team, we have the business, uh, essentially a sort of front stage and a backstage. We have um, some senior para planners and case managers. There's a lot of rules and uh, technical knowledge required to put things together accurately uh, and in the right way. And then we have some administrators and our, our team of... PAs, I suppose you would call them in old world, 
but some client service uh, administrators who will make sure that people get the statements on the right day and can make a phone call to book an appointment easily or book online. And the whole structure, there isn't one element that functions well without the other elements functioning well. So our administrators, our para planners, the management team, looking after the front stage, which is all the advisors, um, and I'm very much in that front stage. Um, years ago, somebody talked to me about you know retirement, and um, I'm not wild about the idea of retirement. I've got no ambitions to do nothing, um, and I've got no ambitions to have 52 weeks of the year. I say this now. Ask me in you know. Yeah, you might change your mind. Ask me in X year's time, but but I did retire some tasks that I don't want to do. There's certain things that the business needs to have done. Recruitment, hiring. Um, done enough of it over the years don't want to do any more Kate runs the show and tells us who's starting on Monday week we've taken our at the beginning of lockdown to give you a clue I suppose it took us from 2001 through to 2020 to reach 28 staff and when we all went home in March 2020 there were 28 of us who went home by March 24 that number will be pushing 50. How much of that is COVID-related and how much of that is just the natural growth curve you're on? Um, little of it is COVID-related, to be honest. I think that some of the roles that we were having performed, which were being performed five days a week in office now, we have um, experienced team members who know what they're doing, who very efficiently can come in on a Monday, pick up enough work for Tuesday and Wednesday and take that home and work very diligently they don't have to travel in. Um, some of whom were coming from, you know, 20 miles away and all the rest of it. They don't they don't waste that time. We know uh, how committed that team is, and I would put our, our support team up against any. They are very committed, they know what they're doing. We've invested a lot in training, we've invested a lot in exams and qualifications. Uh, I, I've lost, I've actually <coughs> I'll find this out after today because it's a good one to end the year with. I don't know how many of our team are currently chasing down the next exam, whether that be for para planning, where they're learning technical roles. There is a para planning qualification now where people can take the raw material of your data and turn it into a plan, essentially. Um, whether that's because they want to be an advisor and they want to get qualified and get their diploma behind them and get out there, whether they're going for their chartered exams um, or Kate, who did um, uh, a business degree and got a first as well. Uh, Kate did a business degree in a part-time and has that unquestionably has helped her structure more things for us. So we're, we're, we're big on our qualification and, and improvement of our people. Um, and we hope that that means the combination of some flexible working in a lot of roles now. We're continually recruiting. I say continually recruiting. Uh, our plans for the business over the next five years are such that you can't get more clients in before you've got the servicing people there. But you don't want all the servicing people there at a cost, of course, to the business. Yeah. And then not get the clients to come with it. So there's, um, there's, a, there's always an element of trying to make sure that you are dovetailing your recruitment and the significant cost of staff to the growth in the business that we anticipate.
Right. What does success look like for you, or what does it look like for Hadler, whether it's answer that in either way? Okay. Um, uh, first and foremost, uh, success for me. Uh, this is this is we we talk about this a lot. Number one is clients achieving their goals. If clients come into me and are able to say, "Brilliant work! What what we you 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 we, we set out to achieve this and we achieved it. Good for me. That's that's success." Yeah. Um, and I can honestly say, hand on heart, seventy percent more than seventy percent of our clients that come to us now are introduced by people we are already looking after. And that referability is key. You know, we will, we, I want people to be completely transparent, complete, have a complete integrity, um, and be able to say, maybe sometimes, I know what you're trying to achieve, Adrian, but if we're going to be realistic, I'm not sure we're going to get there in that time scale. Yeah. So... You've set a five-year goal to achieve X, and I think you might need to allow seven to achieve that. Now, I've had people say to me, do you think what we're doing is good, Warren, with their existing planning? And I have said, no. No, I don't think it is good. I think you'll get part of the way towards the goals you've set yourself, but I don't think that that plan is going to get you there. And I've had people slightly take the hump and, you know... I'm not here to tell you that what you're doing is great if I don't think it's great. So, number one, is people coming in and saying, we're really pleased with what we've achieved. That's great. That's a great measure of success. Number two is seeing developments amongst our, our team. Um, we have had people now moved through the administration roles into a, a management piece and clearly massively influential on the business. Kate and Mark are two senior people in the business outside of the three directors, myself, James and Tom. Kate and Mark both joined us in junior roles and are now running the show and are both very well qualified to do exactly that and experience. That's, that's a, a sign of some success, I think. So Warren, I've asked people on this podcast who've been at the start of a business journey if they'd give advice to someone who was starting the business. Yeah. So I'm going to flip that question slightly differently for you because yeah. you're in a different phase of your business. Mm. Someone had a small business and they wanted to grow it to a, you know, mm. a substantial business yeah. with 40 employees, for example. Yeah. How would you advise them to best go about that? Um, yeah, good question, Adrian. Uh, number one, decide which hat you're going to wear. You know, I think most people find it very difficult to work in the business and manage that business. So we took a lot of advice from people who had exactly that. Yeah. We were this big, wanted to get to that big, so I went to speak to some people running big businesses and say, you know, how did you get there? What did you do? And um, clearly finding key people to do key roles for you. Um, I remember having a conversation with a very good friend of mine who told me that we needed an operations director in our business. And then he told me what I thought we needed to pay that person. And he passed out. You know, it was a much, much bigger salary and commitment than I had in my mind to take us to the next stage. But within a year, we went out, went out and found that person and paid that salary because it meant that we could pass a part of that business over and surround yourself with good people, the best people you can. Yeah. You know, get, get the best people in you can Make sure they stay on board um, and 
be brave enough to let some of the elements of the business go that you can't you can't do everything you know and the idea of now 45 people in our business we've almost got somebody in HR you know just does contractual stuff looking after people well-being uh, looking after our team uh, because we want them to stay um, and that is a role that didn't exist when there were 15 people in the business. So it, it, it does mushroom, mushroom out. I think in terms of starting a business as well, particularly when you're looking to grow something, uh, I'm a massive goal setter and I've done a lot of work in that area. I've been coached myself quite a lot and I've done a lot of coaching as well. Um, write your goals down. At the beginning of the year, write your goals down. They might be... They, for us, you know, we, we, will, we will have a, a, a range of written goals that we will share for the business. But then I encourage every one of our team to have their own goals for the year. They might not all be business related. It might be, um, might be to visit somewhere they've never visited before. It might be to, you know, I've been trying to learn to play the guitar for a long time. That's not a great example, is it? Because I'm still <laughs> rubbish. But, but, you know, some, some goals, write those goals down. I think people overcomplicate writing down goals. So going into this year, um, we had some written down goals for the business. We had written down goals. A lot of our guys, again, guys and girls taking different exams and they will want to pass three exams in 2023 or two exams or whatever it may be. Uh, but I took a, a challenge into 2023 which was to have a three-word business plan. Three words, okay? And my three words going into 2023 were team, moderation, and novelty. Team, very much a personal thing about making sure that I was either developing my team or using my team as effectively as it possibly could be to to free up my time as one of the three directors to make sure that my time was best deployed. That's about good delegation. It's about empowerment, letting other people make decisions, you know, um, hopefully get most of them right, you know. Um, moderation was about making sure that my time was, I suppose moderation might be an odd word, I knew what I meant but I wanted to ensure that my time that was spent was being spent um, fairly and equally. So that, that I want to know about things in our business. I say to Kate always, I want to know about things that are really good or really bad. But I don't want to know about much in the middle because you run it. And she does. With Mark, with Angela, with Emily, Shirley, um, our, our growing team. And novelty was a personal one. Uh, novelty was um, uh, at, at 60. I turned 60 in June. And at 60, um, we decided to have a year where we would do things that we've not done before. So we've visited places we've never been before. We've eaten at restaurants we've never been to before. We're going skiing in January to a, re to a resort I've never been to before. Because I think um, when you get to a, a veteran stage, like me perhaps... There's a lot of things that you've done before that you can keep doing, but they don't have the same reward. So yeah. we set out a thing about novelty. So uh, jumped out of a plane in August. That okay. was fun with a parachute. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, never done that before. Um, yeah, everything down to just 
not go into the same places for a bite to eat on a Sunday lunchtime or go in different places. Novelty's been quite interesting because um, we've found some places to go and spend some time and some places to travel to that uh, we may have just gone to the same old safe old previously. So goal setting doesn't have to be all about, when you're growing a business, it doesn't all have to be about just the business. It can be about individuals. I mean, I guess you well. doing different and novel things probably gives you a clearer mind to, to look yeah. at your work as well. Yeah. You know how efficient you get the, the two days before you're going away for a fortnight break? Mm. Well, you do about a week and a half's worth of work. You do about a week and a half's worth of work in about the last three days yeah. in the office, don't you? Because you're completely on it. A very, very famous, I best not name him, but very, very famous goal setter and, and, uh, and coaching goal management guru. The first thing he does every year is he puts all the days down in his diary that he is planning not to work. Not to work. Because he knows that his efficiency coming up to those days a bit of a long weekend or whatever. It's true. Um, you know, I've been um, I've been busy building a house this year, so a lot of my weekends, I finish work on a Friday, hopefully lunchtime, and my weekends have been battered with a lot of work and and, and stuff relating to the property I've been building. We've got four weeks to go till Christmas, and um, man, I felt it. You know, not having a some downtime has been really interesting and um, I won't make that mistake again uh, although it's although we have now got the keys to the house and we're in and it's lovely and I'm enjoying it um, I think you need to look after yourself as well and whilst I say on the one hand when you're starting out and you've got a big growth expectation for your business let that business own you equally be kind to yourself as well and make sure that you stay um, you know, in the chair, uh, we see you know we see lots of people who uh, uh, get unseated. Uh, don't do that, you know. And uh, good people around you, my management team, are along completely, yeah. and uh, that's very important. Okay, so Warren, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a fascinating chat. Um, Thank you. Really, Andrew. really enjoyed it. Learning more about sort of financial markets for everyone and. More about well, yourself and, and your business for the last 20 years. Yeah, you could, everybody will tell. We didn't rehearse this at all, uh, as you can, I'm sure, tell. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, you're very welcome to come and see us, and any of your viewers are very welcome to come and see us. The old brewery, our Grade 2 listed building. We, the can, only... we can put a picture up behind us. Okay, well, we'll get a picture of the old brewery up. It's the headquarters of the old Wrexham Lager um, Brewing Company, of course. Um, the vaults are all still there downstairs. Um, it's grade two listed. I wish it wasn't some days, but that's another story, Adrian. But thank you very much for inviting me and um, from all of us at Hadlow Edwards. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks. No matter how high you fly, no matter how far you go, the spotlight's on you when we go home. Hello everybody, it's Adrian here. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Wrexham Business Spotlight podcast. It's very much appreciated. Please also support our guests and their wonderful businesses. You can like and subscribe to this. You could share the podcast so your friends can enjoy it. And you could also find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Leave your comments, leave your thoughts and let us hear your feedback. Thank you very much and see you on the next episode.